A shout out to those who are watching live feed. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, may the Lord bless you today. If, if my little baby, Whitney Harmon Barnett, is watching, happy birthday, Whitney. Your daddy loves you, and uh, love your baby, all right? So good deal. Whitney, uh, Whitney was a little girl when we moved here uh, 21 years ago, and uh, now she's a mama for my grandbaby. And that's, that's pretty cool. All right, open your Bible to Malachi chapter 4. We're going to read the last chapter of the last book of the Old Testament today. You say, well, it, it's Christmas time, preacher. You're supposed to be preaching on Christmas passages. Well, like I said, I've been here 21 years, and I've preached all the Christmas passages there are. And so I asked the Lord, Lord, show me uh, an obscure passage that deals with the incarnation of Christ, the first coming of Jesus. And I found it right here in the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, chapter 4, right before we end the Old Testament. How many of y'all like to sing Christmas carols? Let me see your hand. Do you? You like all Christmas songs? Man, I do. I, li I like all. I like the happy ones, the funny ones, the ones that I saw Mama kissing, whatever. I like those, you know. Uh, you know. Rudolph, okay, I better shut up. All right. I just like all of them. Some of them are funny. They make me laugh. Others of them, though, have deep theological meaning to them, and they're taken right from the Word of God, and I really like those. Problem is, we just don't sing them enough, you know? We sing them in December, and we forget all the words until we sing them. Then we don't sing them for another year. But one of my favorite is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. You know that song? It is an awesome Christmas carol, a great truth from God's Word. It was actually written by a Methodist preacher by the name of Charles Wesley. And when he first wrote that Christmas carol, it had a few words or lines in it that were hard to understand. It, there were a couple of words that no one knew the meaning of. And so Charles's good friend, a preacher by the name of George Whitfield, came alongside him and said, Hey, Charles, let's change some of these words. And so they collaborated, they changed the words, and now we have the edition that we sing today of Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Now, the cool thing about that carol is all of the lines in it can be connected to passages from the Word of God. And in our passage today from Malachi chapter 4, there are two phrases from this passage that occur in Hark the Herald Angels Sing. So your assignment as I read it is to pay careful attention and try to figure out what two lines I'm talking about. Are you up for it? All right, don't get your hymn book out and compare them, all right? Just see if you can do it by memory here. Malachi chapter 4, starting in verse number 1. And by the way, Jason here, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. All right, is that good with you, man? I love the NLT. It, it, and you got the message, I knew you did. But I'm reading out of the NLT. Uh, this is the, the, the translation I read out of every morning when I have my daily devotions. I love the NLT, and today I'm going to preach out of it. Is that Okay. It doesn't matter if it's okay. <laughs> That's what I'm doing. That's what I'm going to do. Uh, Malachi chapter 4, verse number 1. The Lord of heaven's armies says, The day of judgment is coming. It's burning like a furnace. On that day the arrogant and the wicked will be burned up like straw. They will be consumed, roots, branches, and all. You're saying, hang on, dude. You're supposed to be preaching about Christmas. <laughs> We're talking about this horrible day here. Well, you know, it, 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 gets, it gets better here. Verse number two. 
But for you who fear my name, the Son, capital S-U-N, of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. And you will go free, leaping with joy like calves who have been led out to pasture. On the day when I act, you will tread upon the wicked as if they were dust under your feet, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Remember to obey the law of Moses, my servant, all the decrees and regulations that I gave him on Mount Sinai for all of Israel. Look, I am sending you the prophet, who? The prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. And may the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word. So, prophet Malachi sees a day when God is going to set everything straight. Let that day come. huh? Amen. Let that day come. He says in verse number 1, surely... This day is coming. He mentions that day again in verse number 3. And then in verse number 5, it is called the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And the coming of this day is in reality the coming of a person. It is the coming of the Lord himself. And his coming is going to change everything. Oh, come on. Amen? His coming will change everything. Everything, And this is the day in which Malachi the prophet sees. Somehow or another, I, I know how it was, it was through the Holy Spirit, Malachi saw Christmas coming. Malachi saw a day when God would become a man and he would come to planted earth. He saw the day that Paul talked about in Galatians chapter 4 verses 4 and 5. And what did Paul say there? But when the fullness of the time has come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem those of us who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Now, the thing that you have to see here is is that this day is the day of his coming, the day of Jesus' coming. God solves our problems By coming to us personally. He doesn't just leave us here to try to fix ourselves. Because we can't do that. We don't have the ability to fix the mess that we're in. And so what does God do? God comes on the scene. And he comes in person through the Lord Jesus Christ. I heard a story this past week about a grandmother whose family had grown so much. She had so many grandkids that that she just couldn't get out and buy presents for all of them. It it was too large of a uh, task for her. So she had the bright idea that she was going to send a card to each grandchild with a check on the inside. And so one day she sat behind her little desk and she wrote out all the checks to the grandkids. It wore her out. And so the next day, she wrote the cards out to each grandkid. That wore her out. So the third day, she wrote out the envelopes, put the addresses on. Fourth day, she stamped it and put it in the mail. She was so excited. 
She felt so good about herself that she had accomplished this task. And she knew that her grandchildren would be delighted with the card and the check. Christmas came and went. She didn't hear anything from any of the grandkids. She thought that was unusual. So the day after Christmas, she got to her desk and she opened the drawer. And to her horror, she saw all the checks. All the checks she had written up, they they were still in the drawer. And so on Christmas Day, all of her grandchildren opened this card from their grandmother that read, Merry Christmas, buy your own present, Grandma. (laughs) Can we relate to that in any way whatsoever, huh? Listen, look at me. She forgot the most important part of the gift, didn't she? Well, God didn't leave out the most important part. God came to us in person. And that's what God promises through Malachi. And that's exactly what God did through the incarnation, through the coming of His Son, Jesus Christ. He came in person. He came in person Through the person of Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son. And and by the way, by the way, there's another hint here that God has in mind the second coming or the, the coming of His Son Jesus in this Old Testament prophecy if we look down at verses 5 and 6. So let me just do that. I'm going to break in and just look at verses 5 and 6 and then we'll get on with the message. But here's what He said in verse 5. See, I will send you the prophet who... Elijah. Well, Elijah's already been. Elijah was long before Malachi. But here Malachi is saying, See, the Lord says, I will bring the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. And here's what he will do. Look at this. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. That's what Malachi, the prophet, wrote in the last book of the last chapter of the Old Testament. Now, let's jettison forward to the New Testament. We read in the first chapters of all the Gospels that Mary became pregnant. And the Holy Spirit came to her and said, Mary, you are pregnant through the Holy Spirit. The child that is within you is really the Son of God. Isn't that the Christmas message? And the angel also said, by the way, your near relative Elizabeth is also pregnant in her old age. God has opened her womb and she's going to have a baby. And so Mary hurries off to see Elizabeth and she knocks on Elizabeth's door. And when Elizabeth opened the door, the Bible says when Elizabeth heard Mary's voice, the baby inside of Elizabeth jumped or leaped with joy. Hearing the voice of the mother of Jesus. And then the Bible also tells us that Elizabeth herself was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now it gets even better than that. Elizabeth does have a baby. Do you remember what they named him? John. John the free will Baptist. 
and he became a mighty prophet of God. But during that entire time, an angel of the Lord came to John's daddy, Zechariah, and this is what the angel said to John the Baptist's dad, Zechariah. Luke chapter 1, verse 16. Many of the people of Israel will he, speaking of John, bring back to the Lord their God. And he, that is John, will go before the Lord in the spirit and in the power of who? Elijah. Elijah. To do what? To turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I read that and I just say, wow, isn't God amazing? Malachi prophesied this 400 years before it happened. And now an angel is saying the exact same thing to Zechariah. Your son is going to be like Elijah. He's going to be the forerunner of the Savior. And this is what he's going to preach. The same thing that Malachi said in Malachi chapter 4 verses 5 and 6. Isn't that amazing? And so we see here that Malachi, this prophet saw the forerunner that we know of as John the Baptist. And that John the Baptist did pave the way for the coming of someone who was far more important than he was, Jesus himself. And Malachi saw Jesus as well. Let's go back to Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Verse 1 says, The Lord of heaven's army says, The day of judgment is coming, burning like a furnace, On that day, the arrogant and the wicked will be burned up like straw. They will be consumed, roots, branches, and all. Now, let me just say this on the side here. There are some Bible scholars who believe that in reality, what Malachi is prophesying is the end times. It it, it is eschatological in in its precepts here, that he's talking about when Jesus actually comes back the second time. And that may very well be the case, but he intertwines that second coming with Jesus with verse number two. Before Jesus can come the second time, he's got to come the first time. And this is the day of the Lord that Malachi is talking about. Look at verse two. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings and you will go free leaping with joy like calves who have been led out to pasture. So church, what I want you to see is how the coming of the Messiah of Jesus Christ as Savior of the world was not just some afterthought of God Almighty. No, not at all. It was the fulfillment of God's eternal purpose of coming to us to provide redemption. Now, you don't hear that word often, but I love the word redemption. Say it with me. One, two, three. Redemption. That's why Jesus came. He came to redeem us. Jesus came to save us. Jesus came to set us free. That is this day of the Lord that the prophet Malachi was speaking about. What I want you to see, church, today is four things that Jesus came for. Number one, Jesus came for our righteousness. Jesus came to make us righteous. How do I know that? Well, look at verse 2 again. But for you who revere my name, 
the son of what? The son of righteousness will rise up with healing in his wings. The rising of the son of righteousness is in reality the coming of a person. His righteousness is on the scale of the brightness of the sun. The sun is the brightest thing we have. It is bright. And he is comparing the brightness of the sun with the brightness and the righteousness of the one who is coming. We know him as the Messiah. So the S-U-N in Malachi 4.2 is in reality the capital S-O-N of God Almighty. The coming of God to his people is like the sun rising after a long, dark, cold night. How many of you like cold weather? Okay, a few of you do. I didn't really much enjoy yesterday, can I tell you that? Cold and rainy and dark outside. It just kind of made me feel blah all day. Yeah, I just wanted to sit around a fire, do nothing. Anybody with me here? So, when I woke up this morning and saw the sun peeking through, it lifted my spirits. I like the sun shining, don't you? Do you see what's happening here in Malachi? He's prophesying that the son of righteousness is coming. As soon as he prophesied that, God kind of shut the book. There is 400 years between the ending of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. Scholars call that the 400 years of silence. Because God didn't speak. There were no new revelations. The people were in darkness. And it was cold and rainy and yucky and horrible. But then the New Testament comes. And in the opening of the Gospels, what happens? Jesus is revealed. The son of righteousness comes. In fact, John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, that we mentioned a while ago, was one of these faithful remnants who clung to the promises even hundreds of years after Malachi spoke them. I want you to listen to what Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, said in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 78. It was actually a song that he sung. And this is what he sang. The tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. That's amazing. Church, Jesus Christ is the son of righteousness. Jesus is the son of righteousness. Say that with me. Jesus is the son of righteousness. The righteous, only begotten son of the father. He is the son who is righteous. And he is the son who can make us righteous. Now here's where it gets good. You see, the righteousness of Jesus Christ is the only thing that can make the sinful unrighteousness of us right. Does that make sense to you? Christ the righteous one died for the unrighteous. And that includes all of us. What does the Bible say? 
There is none righteous. No, not one. And there is nothing you can do in and of yourself to make yourself righteous. It's only through Jesus that we can be made right. In fact, this is what Peter said in 1 Peter 3, 18. He said, for Christ died for our sins. That's why Jesus came. Jesus Christ came to die for your sins. And then it says this little phrase, once for all. Now, you got to love that because what that did is abolish the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, they continually had to sacrifice the blood of animals, of oxen and sheep. Why? To temporarily cover the sins of the people. But it was an ongoing process because people kept sinning. They needed more blood to cover the, the sins of the people. But the Bible tells us in 1 Peter, Jesus only had to do it one time. Once for all. That's worth clapping about. Thank you. Once for all. Why? His blood didn't simply cover over our sins. His blood takes our sins away. Go on and read the rest of the verse. For Christ died for sins once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous. Why? To bring us to God. So that we could live in a relationship with God. So when we put our trust in Christ... The Father imparts the righteousness of His Son into us. And when that righteousness is imparted to us, we begin to live a righteous life. God changes our hearts to where we now hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, why is this good news for us? I'll tell you, it is good news because in each of us, there is this inept longing to do what is right. God made us that way. Everybody has that from birth. Now, here's what we do. A lot of times we, we, we turn that to a, a different form. Sometimes that longing drives us to be judgmental and self-righteous, thinking that we already are right when we're really not. Let me tell you, you're not. There's... In and of yourself, there's nothing right about you. you. You are not righteous. At other times, it can drive us to despair and hopelessness because we constantly find ourselves thinking and acting unrighteously. By nature, that's what we do. So can we ever change? I'm asking, can we change? Can we ever be made right? The answer is absolutely yes. You can be made right by trusting the righteous one to be our righteousness and to allow his righteousness to live through us. But it only comes through faith. When God imparts the righteousness of Jesus into our own life. God came not only for our righteousness, but number two, God came for our restoration. Look again at verse number two. The son of righteousness will rise with what in its wings? With healing in his wings. Malachi sees the rays of the sun at dawn like the wings of the sun. These rays are healing rays. In fact, the word itself means restoration. Church, we need to understand this. The virus of sin has infected all of us. It sickened all of us. And it's a deadly, devastating virus. 
It will not only kill us, it's going to destroy us. How do I know that? Well, the Bible tells us we've all sinned. All of us, every one of us. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And here's the deal. You can't cure yourself of this virus. There is no human-made medication that will take this virus from our hearts. So we welcome the rising of the Son of Righteousness to bring the healing and the restoration that we need. Thanks be to God who is merciful and graceful to take our broken, messed up lives and heal them and restore them and make them right. If you go to the Oklahoma City National Memorial, you'll, you'll find a stirring tribute to everyone who was affected by the bombing of the federal building in Oklahoma City on April the 19th, 1995. One of the most striking features of that memorial is this 80-year-old elm tree. I think we got a picture of it. There it is. The old elm tree, 80 years old. It was right across from the federal building that Timothy McVeigh blew up. Remember when he did that? He exploded that bomb, killed 168 people. Hundreds of others were affected and, and hurt, destroyed the federal building. That tree was right across from it, and, and when it happened, everybody thought that tree was destroyed. In fact, you couldn't even see the tree. The debris covered it. And they thought when they, they cleared the debris off, the tree would be gone. But you know what? He was still standing there. They say shrapnel was stuck in its bark, but they didn't give it much hope. They, they thought the tree would die, but, but the spring rains came. You know, they blew up from Texas. <laughs> that healing rain came from Texas. And it washed all the soot off that tree. And you know what? What happened right after that? That old elm tree started to bud again. It wasn't destroyed. It still lived. And they were so impressed, they, they named that tree. It's called the survivor tree. And it stands as a tribute to that city and those people who survived a horrific event. You know, when I thought about that tree, I, I thought of some of you. Oh, I know you. I've been here a long time. I, I know what you've been through. I thought of you who have endured the very worst that life and sin can hurl at you. The wounds and the scars in your life are deep. I know that. But praise God that some of you stand today as a testimony of God's healing and God's restoration. That God can take something that has been broken by sin and restore it. God takes something that has been poisoned by the virus of destruction and bring life to it. I really think that's what Charles Wesley had in mind when he originally penned that Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. I'm not going to try to sing it to you, but I do want to read one of the lines to you. It says, Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, 
born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. (laughs) Glory to God. (laughs) Glory to God in the highest. The Lord Jesus Christ comes for our righteousness and for our restoration. But number three, he also came for our release. Look at the end of verse number two. Malachi 4, 2b says, And you will go out and leap like little calves who have just been released from their stalls into the pasture. Now, historically, this had a meaning because that's what the Israelites did. If they had had calves that were born in the wintertime, they would keep those calves in the barn, in the stalls, during the hard months of winter. But then when spring came, they would release those calves. And here's what happens to us. When we experience the righteousness and the restoration of the Lord, we're like those little calves who have been released. We've been set free. Woo! Man. Did you know that the Lord Jesus considered that part of his teaching ministry to proclaim that truth? Again, how do I know? Well, Jesus told me in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. He has sent me to release the oppressed. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to set you free, man. So many of us in this room have lived in a prison of regret for so long that we don't think there's any release in sight. And it weighs us down. The memories of our sins and our failures chain us up and haunt us. And you know what? The old devil loves that. Satan loves to remind us of how unworthy we are so that he can keep us in those prisons. I don't know about you, but I... I love it when somebody's set free. I love it when those chains are busted and they are set free in the grace of God. It's only the forgiveness of the Lord that can ultimately set us free from the prison of sin. And let me be very specific. The blood of Jesus does that. The blood of Jesus sets us free. Amen? So the Lord comes for our righteousness, our restoration, our release, and then ultimately, he came for our rejoicing. I love verse number two here. It says, and you will go out and leap, (laughs) leap around like little calves who have just been set out free in the pasture. How many of y'all have a dog or dogs? You got dogs? Raise your hand. Be proud of it. You got dogs. We've had dogs ever since we've lived here, and, and uh, at one time we had a herd of four dogs. But they, you know, it's when the kids were around, they've all, two of them have died. And uh, we've got, not the kids, the dogs, two, two dogs have died. Kids are, all my kids are still alive. Got two dogs left. Zane's dog, uh, Rowdy, is a schnauzer. He's, he's about 10 years old. He's, he's, 
He's kind of getting old, but he's, he's, still, he's still bouncing around. He's still going. He's still strong. He's doing good. The other dog that's still alive is the one that I didn't expect to be alive is my dog, the dog we started with, Rocket. If you've been here for any length of time, you, you've heard Rocket's stories. Okay? We've had Rocket over 18 years. Rocket is almost 19 years old. It's a Jack Russell Terrier, and he just won't die. I mean... <laughs> I, have, I just don't understand it. I really don't. Now, when Rocket was young, he was pretty ornery. Angie, Angie got off on a bad foot with Rocket, and they've never been friends. Never have been friends. I took Rocket to obedience school, and uh, let me tell you this little story. I didn't tell first service this. I took Rocket to obedience school because I wanted him to be an obedient dog, and man, it, just, it was hard for him because he just doesn't have that submissive attitude. When I was driving out to the, to the lady's house, for obedience school, I had, I had cookies in the back of my truck that we used to give out to visitors, the whole thing of cookies, and I didn't hear Rocket for a long time, and, and when I got there to the lady's house, I discovered that he, he tore that sack open and had eaten all those cookies. It's just his nature. It's typical. He's typical. 18 years old, he's deaf, he's blind, and he's mean as a rattlesnake, and he won't die. I mean, every, every day I go out there and I'm, I'm playing with my dogs and I talk to them and I say, Rocket, is today the day? Do you, do you think that you might go to, to heaven today? And, and, and he, he can't see, he can't hear, and he's hacking around coughing. I think it's good, but he, he just won't die, right? The other day I was out there uh, raking leaves and I had the gate open and he disappeared. He, he walked out the gate and uh, in. in Rowdy won't leave. He just he's, he he was barking, you know, like where's my buddy? Where's my buddy? And and I consoled I consoled him. I said I said Rowdy, it's okay. Let's let's just let Rocket go. <laughs> I mean, I, I held I held Rowdy by his ears, and I look. I said, listen, Rowdy, he's been he's been cooped up in this backyard for eighteen years. He's never gotten out there to have any kind of fun. And to chase animals like he, let's just let him be. If he comes back, okay. If he doesn't, praise the Lord. <laughs> well, I went in the house and, and I started feeling bad. So I went and looked for him. Praise God, I couldn't find him. <laughs> Had to go run an errand. So I thought, you know, I'll go run my errand when I get back. If he's home, fine. If he's not, praise the Lord. I was driving down our street right before I got to the end of the street. My neighbor. <laughs> I rolled down the window. He said, you looking for your dog? <laughs> what, what, what do I say? Well, I took him home. I took him home. He just, he just won't die. I keep my dogs. I'm telling you, I got to point to this story. I keep my dogs in, inside in, at night in little, little cages, little pens. When I let him out in the morning, Rowdy, he's just jumping around. He's so excited to be out. Rocket makes his way out, but Rowdy's excited. Why? Because he's been set free. My, my daughter Whitney's got two little cab pups. They are absolutely crazy. They, they live in an apartment. Those dogs are confined in the apartment. When I go down to see her, it's my job to take the dogs on a walk, and man, they're pulling those leashes. We get to the dog park, I let them loose, and they go crazy. Why? Because they've been set free. They run around and hop around like crazy. They're so happy to be set free. 
And that is the picture or the image that is Malachi is showing us here of these little calves who have been in the barn all winter long and now they've been set free. You know what he's saying? That's the way we are to look. We've been set free. Man, we ought to be jumping around. We ought to be praising God. There should be joy in our heart. Why? He has justified us. He has released us. He has transformed us. And there ought to be joy in our life. John Piper wrote about this in one of his books. He says, when you open your eyes to the glory of the name of the mighty God and you set yourself to love him above all else, you will go forth leaping with the freedom of a newborn calf. He said, from the love of money, you will be set free from marital faithlessness, free to lift your hands to praise to the Savior, free to discover the thrill of godliness and love, free to decrease so that he might increase and God be your all in all. That's what I need. I need that. You need that. But it's not always what we want. We need it, but we don't all want it. Tim Keller tells a story of this. About, he tells a story of a little boy, Christmas time. I don't know, the kid may have been six years old. He gets a truck. He's been asking for this truck for weeks, and, and he gets the truck. He loves the truck. He doesn't put the truck down. He plays with the truck. The very next day, he breaks the truck. And all he can do is cry. He wants his truck fixed. He's begging his daddy, fix my truck. The daddy can't fix the truck, but he tries to console the little boy. He says, son, you don't, you don't need to cry about this. I just got a phone call. Your aunt died and left you a million dollars. Does that news console this little boy? Absolutely not. He keeps crying. Because he wants his truck fixed. Why? Well, this little fella doesn't have the capacity to understand what's really valuable. Did you know that's our situation? We will never understand and rejoice at the amazing gift God gave us in his son until we understand what is ultimately valuable. And it's not what the world says. Our value does not come through money, even a million bucks. It doesn't come through popularity. It doesn't come through success. It doesn't even come through a healthy body. No, it is the true riches that come from Christ that are ultimately valuable. Redemption. Restoration. Righteousness. Release. And the joy that Jesus brings into our life. And if you're here this morning devoid of any of these gifts, I know where you can get them. Man, I can hook you up with the man who disperses these things. He's Jesus. God's son. He loves you. He's got a plan for your life. And he wants to change you today. Would you come and receive 